I'm Julie Nemitz, former for-profit marketing executive to Fortune 500 brands turned evangelist for marketing excellence and innovation in live theater. This is In the Green Room. It wasn't long ago that I was racking up frequent flyer miles, traveling the country, leading digital media and marketing for some of the world's top brands, and I was exhausted. Worse yet, I felt utterly empty. It was then I had an aha moment. I can take all of that I learned over the last 15 years climbing the corporate ladder in for-profit marketing, making billions for those top brands, mind you, and use it for good to help my true passion, the theater, thrive in this brave new digital world. Fast forward through a pandemic and lessons learned, and you'll see a happy me today leading regional and community theaters to grow with marketing innovations, strategies, and kickin' content. If you're a theater maker feeling overwhelmed by the lightning pace of marketing changes, lack the confidence or resources to implement new marketing tactics, or just want to find support to create a theater that makes an impact in your community, you are in the right place. Now grab some coffee and a cardboard cup, and let's get on with the show. Well, hey, everybody. May is Mental Health Awareness Month, and given the signature color for its awareness is green, what better place than in the green room to, well, talk about it? Now, facts are facts. Johns Hopkins tells us an estimated 26% of Americans age 18 and older, about one in four adults, suffer from a diagnosable mental disorder in a given year. Now, if you're listening to this podcast and you are struggling, a great place to start is by talking with your primary care provider. And I'll also link in the show notes to some additional resources. Now, a quick story. Just before the pandemic hit, my husband and I noticed some um, escalating behaviors in our daughter that we felt kind of needed to be checked on. We had a feeling she was misdiagnosed when she was around seven and was indeed suffering from some form of ADHD. Well, skip ahead 18 months of COVID and staying in the house, we had her tested and we were correct. She now has a positive diagnosis. And let me tell you, it was such, it is such a relief. But here's what happened. Walking through the testing protocol and then reviewing pages and pages of graphs and charts and reports with the neurologist, I realized that I too had similar tendencies, have similar tendencies. It was kind of like opening up a window, better understanding, you know, why I do, why I did the things I did. And how I approach tasks and, you know, just living life. Now, I've found a resource called Attitude, and that's A-D-D, 
I-T-U-D-E, as a great resource that's changed a lot for me and given me the tools for both me and my daughter to move through this phase and this new reality into a new way of working and approaching living our lives. You know, ADHD, we have to remember, is also responsible for what makes us unique and special. The great things about me and about my daughter are because of the way our brains work, not in spite of it. Now remember, one in four of us have needed support for our mental health. You are decidedly not alone. Okay, today's topic of stressors for us theater makers and how to deal with them. I want to give you some advice today based on experience, believe me. First of all, I want to talk about where we are in our year, our season. Many of you are seeing the finishing line of your 2021-22 season. Others are midway through your calendar year. Some of you may be launching your 22-23 season in June. Every theater is different. But what isn't different is that working in theater right now is stressful. From coast to coast and everywhere in between, we continue to face challenges with COVID. I know, I see you. I see so many opening delays, temporary closures, understudies and standbys stepping in. I see extensions happening at theater. You know, they're closing down for some days, but they're adding additional days as we are trying to recoup revenue on the investment we made in the production. And here's the thing. With a few exceptions, ticket sales are down pretty much everywhere compared to where they were pre-pandemic. I know many of you feel a tremendous responsibility to keep the doors open, staff paid, casts and crew as healthy as possible, and you're working to fix wrongs and oversights made in the past and are focusing on your journey towards a more equitable and accessible organization, it's a lot. The world is asking so much of us. We're asking so much of ourselves inside to ensure that live theater stays a part of our communities, and that brings stress. And guess what? Working in marketing right now is incredibly stressful. It is, full stop. But let's reevaluate some causes and tackle some of the biggest stressors head on. Okay, here we go. Number one, measuring metrics. Here's the stress. Measuring metrics itself isn't exactly stressful. The stressful part of metrics comes in two forms. First, you have the result of metrics. Say you've been working on a marketing campaign for your second to last show of the season, let's say the musical Evita. For the past three months, you've put so much of your marketing heart and soul into it. You've devoted more than full-time hours to the campaign and done everything you were supposed to and then some. I know this describes probably pretty much everyone that's listening right now. Well, the show closes. The campaign is over, and it's time to calculate the results and prepare your post-show report, right? The raw metrics and sales receipts come back to inform you that, unfortunately, despite your efforts and doing everything every pro ever suggested, Evita's KPIs were missed and goals weren't met. You've utilized all the budget you had left and spent, and it just didn't produce the results everyone wanted. Insert a sad sigh here. There's no rainbow high over here, right? So you've used all the budget that you had for the campaign and it didn't produce results. No rainbow high over here. So you take that data, 
that you have from the campaign and you say it wasn't a complete loss because you've learned more about the user behavior or the targeting or the ad copy or the keywords that you chose for Google, now it's time to go plead for more budgeting and try again, right? Another stress point. Time to cry for me, Argentina. (laughs) The second part of the metric stress is the part I see theater marketers struggle with the most, having no metrics at all. Yes, it happens like a lot. Take content metrics, for example. Did you know that today most marketers, actually 81% of them integrate making content into their marketing strategies? web pages, digital program books, print pieces, long form video, short form video, the list goes on and on. But 65% of marketers are struggling to measure the impact of their marketing strategies. So that's more than half who don't understand or at the very least having a difficult time trying to figure it out what metrics are supposed to be measured. So how do we deal with this? Well, we need to set ourselves up for success and not stress right away from the very beginning. In those beginning stages of your strategy development, you need to be defining what is the most important part of this show campaign. You know, it's probably direct sales. It might You might have some goals around uh, content consumption. Um, Perhaps you're trying to track who saw what when, uh, whether offline sales were impacted by online exposure, multi-touch attribution, any of those ways. You need to define what the primary goal is, then secondary, then tertiary, and so on. So I suggest you go back and listen to episode 39 of this podcast to better understand how to set and execute on your goals. It's a great episode. It's important to go past just defining the main goal of the campaign because the primary goal, if it isn't always met, especially the first time you try it. Remember, your marketing goals cannot just be sell more tickets this time. You need several goals so that you can learn more and find a story somewhere to grow and learn for the next time. You want to have a few other metrics to measure in order to quantify some success or total failure, I hope not. Not just focusing on that one goal of sell more tickets. Number two, low to no budgets. Oh boy, not having a budget or having an extremely low budget to work with makes the job of getting butts in seats extra stressful. Coming up in a future episode of the podcast, I'm going to review the results of the Spring Theater Marketing Academy survey. We had about 139 theaters participate. And let me tell you, this popped up constantly. No budget, extremely low budgets. Lots of times the low to no budgets are paired with extra high expectations of marketing as the savior of sales. Everyone that really doesn't understand marketing assumes that if a show doesn't sell well, it's because of the marketing. The truth is, these expectations could be something like, you know, generating Hollywood or Broadway-worthy video content to promote the show. But if you have no advertising budget to ensure people actually see it, talk about a stressful situation. 
So how do we deal with this? Because guess what? Not every theater is fortunate enough to have large or experimental test and learn budgets. They're just not. As marketers, though, we need to be prepared to be communicative and straightforward with our management and the board of directors on what marketing can and cannot achieve when it's not funded. By clarifying realistic expectations from the beginning, y'all, at the very first budget review or production meeting, you're going to be able to inform your team what they can expect to receive by spending the amount you've been given. No, I can't predict the future. But yes, I can certainly hope and work hard for the best outcome. But by making it known from the get-go, what can actually happen with a specific budget range, you're avoiding extreme amounts of disappointment and stress. After that budget meeting, head back to your desk and run your own numbers on what you've seen as a result of the past. Pick up the phone and call another marketing director. Reach out to someone in marketing on social media and say, hey, do you want to have a conversation about budgets? I will bet you 100 to 1 they will say yes. Now remember stressor number one, if you checked your metrics and data collection off as not an issue for you, then my recommendation is to dive into your past data. You have to tell a story informed by the past. What does the data tell you about shows with similar goals, similar budgets, similar show titles, similar times of the year? Then prepare a report clarifying what has worked, under what conditions, and maybe even make a prediction of what everyone should be able to expect to receive based on the marketing budget you have. Okay, chicken and egg scenario I see with so many theaters. Which comes first, the production budget or the marketing budget? If we don't invest in the best sets and costumes for professional theaters, if we don't hire the most talented and sometimes expensive actors and directors, if we don't get those new lights and sound design technology, we're impeding on our reputation. On the flip side, if we don't adequately fund marketing, then who is going to come see the show? How do we reach and nurture new audiences? How do we persuade them that they will love this particular production? that they'll feel all the feels, that they'll get that serotonin rush of seeing live theater. Believe me, I have seen extraordinary production budgets and pathetic marketing budgets all in one show. Too many times, to be honest. A part of our job as marketers is to educate everyone at your theater on why marketing is crucial to every single person and production. Okay. Evangelist Julie, I'm stepping down off the altar now. On to number three, Google updates. Oh, Google, the stress is we are constantly trying to stay on top of every update that you make. We even try to prep before the updates and the algorithm changes happen, yet you still cause us marketers an insane amount of stress with every new update. Within the blink of an eye, a major change could have just happened and our websites are affected by it. Most of the time they're affected negatively too. So yes, Google, you do occasionally bring the stress. <laughs> if you haven't yet listened to episode 38, I recommend you do. It's got a dive into Google's current changes and how you can best adapt to them. It's a great episode. 
Now, let's talk about how to deal. One of the best ways to deal with Google stress is to stay on top of anything and everything that happens within the industry, just as Google does. Google takes note of things on your website. It's watching user behavior on your site. If you've got cyber bugs, spam, other web issues, they're looking at all of that on your site and you should too. Doing so will help you better predict what changes are going to happen and what kind of changes are most likely to come next. If you understand how your site is working, you're going to be more prepared when changes happen. Plus, here's the thing. We cannot possibly be an expert in every aspect of marketing. It's just simply impossible. We have to rely on others. So in the show notes, I've linked some great SEO resources for you, some Google articles that you can read, some experts, some of which have great connections with Google and long-term histories, giving them a better chance of predicting stuff. Now, number four, wearing too many hats. The stress here, I can bet all of the money in my wallet Okay, wait, I don't carry cash, but regardless, it's a fact that you wear way more than just one hat at your theater. I'm remembering a particularly unique meeting I had with a client last year, a marketing director who was also responsible for stocking the snack bar, beverages, and the swag wall. She had me on speakerphone during a meeting once while she tried to count the remaining cans of soda left in the cooler and figure out what to order for the coming weekend's shows. I'm not kidding the marketing director. We wear a lot of hats. I get it. So many hats. We're trying to do it all. Go to all the meetings, designing, ordering print products, website updates, design, social media manager. You're a print manager. You're doing out of home, direct mail specialist. You're a PPC conversion ad manager. You're a content maker and a marketer. There are more, but you get the drift. At larger organizations and companies, we have to remember employees have their unique specialty that they focus on. And the only time they find themselves assisting other departments is when someone quits or is on vacation. Theater marketers, we know very well what it's like to balance 50 different hats on our heads at once. We probably do it better than anyone else. So how do we deal with this? This is going to be a little controversial. And if you're an executive director or a board member listening, bear with me. As a marketing director, as the head of marketing for your theater, as the person responsible for marketing for your theater, you really have to zone in and truly focus on one area of expertise. Yes, stay on top of the millions of updates happening in all realms of the marketing world, but we have to put a primary focus and our research towards perfecting the craft of what we need to do best. And yes, Prioritize what the main objectives are to meet that goal. And if time allows, see how you can assist in other activities and other requests. It's really easy for theater staff to do what I call the, oh, that's a job for marketing. And if you are a team of three, two, one, I know you're out there, a marketing team of one at a theater with a $2 million revenue. Every ask of you matters to how you do your job. Historically, marketing has been a yes department. We make stuff, we organize stuff, we put stuff out there. In learning to set boundaries, we deal with stress of overwork, 
so much more easily. And I follow the amazing Brene Brown's advice on learning how to do it. Here are a couple of tips, actually a few of them. Make a mantra. Brene needed something to hold on to literally during those awkward moments when an ask hung in the air. She bought a silver ring that she spins on her finger while silently repeating, choose discomfort over resentment. I thought that was brilliant. So I wear four bracelets on my right hand, my right arm. In the morning, I put them in an order, an order of what is important to me and my time for that day. The bracelets, one's for me, one is for my work, one is for my client's work, and one is for my family. Now, if a client asks something out of scope and I look down and my family bracelet is at the top, then I know what to do and say. I know that I need to choose discomfort over resentment. And it can cause discomfort. I'm making a choice that's critical for my well-being, my family's well-being, even if it's not easy. Now, I love this one. Keep a resentment journal. Brene says whenever she's marching around muttering cuss words under her breath, she grabs what she lovingly refers to as her damn it diary and writes down what's going on. Most people realize that you're kind of more resentful when you're tired and overwhelmed, when you're not setting boundaries, when you're stressed. Y'all, I know so many of you do this. Overwhelm leads to resentment and muttering. Your spouse, your friends will thank you when you start a resentment journal. Mine's actually a file on Evernote, FYI. Rehearse. Okay, right up our alley, everybody, in our wheelhouses. Here's an example. Brene says she'll often say to no one in particular, I can't take that on. Or, nope, my plate is full. Like many worthwhile endeavors, boundary setting takes practice. Even if there's no one around, practice saying those things. That's a great idea. Unfortunately, I can't get to that until next week. Now, my dog Rory is quite a good sounding board, and I rehearse with him quite often. Okay, moving on to number five, lack of strategy development. Now, the stress here is the pressure is always on to hurry up and produce results. Even though it's become common knowledge now that marketing success takes time. It doesn't happen overnight. It doesn't happen the minute the box office opens. We all still want results to happen yesterday. And you know your leadership does. This is why so many budgets are wasted. Because we go head first into trying to produce results and forget about first developing a strategy that will get us to those results. I'm going to say that one again. So many budgets are wasted because we go headfirst into trying to produce results and forget about first developing a strategy that will get us to those results. So how do we deal with this one? Again, defining our goals, what our needs are, and then define the strategy to get there. We don't work backwards. A new project or campaign flow should look something like this. Define that show's unique audience. Who are we going to go after? Who are we trying to reach? Define our goal. What do we need to accomplish with this campaign? What are the primary and secondary objectives? Define the budget. How much money do we need to make on this show? And how much money do I have in my budget to promote this show. If those numbers don't match in your own mind, you need to be ready to tell management how much you think it will take for you to achieve that goal. Define the strategy. What is the best method to get there? 
This is where your knowledge comes in. Where are your people? Where's your audience? What kind of marketing is going to help you accomplish your goal? Implement the strategy. Put one, two, three, four, five things together and give that chosen method a shot and then define the results. Then guess what? Do it again. Episode 39 is all about goal setting. If you haven't listened to that one, check it out. All right, number six, not generating conversions, aka sales. The stress is you think you finally found the sweet spot of your conversion ad campaign and you were able to drop the cost per lead by 40%. You're feeling really good right now. Clicks are flying in. You're just watching them hit that website and they're coming in from exactly where you want them to come from. You leaned in on spending on Google and you're seeing the results by traffic coming from Google. That's an example. But guess what? When they get to the website, nobody's buying. Traffic is at an all-time high, and still, you're seeing very few conversions on the website. Why? Here's how to deal with that. Usually, when it comes to gaining clicks and no conversions, there's something not quite right with the actual landing page or your website. Here are some things that I want you to check that might be causing people to leave without buying. Number one is page speed. How fast is your page loading? If it takes too long to load, people aren't going to wait and you're going to gain the click without a conversion. They're going to hit your page, they're going to wait, and they're going to leave because they did not see what they wanted to immediately. Two seconds is the threshold for e-commerce, and that's what we are, friends. That's the acceptable timing of seeing what we need to see. Two seconds. One, two. At Google, they aim for a half second. Now, in the show notes, I'm linking to a resource on HubSpot where you can do a full diagnostic of your website quality for free. I want everyone to do that. Design. This is a big one. And I see a lot of theater websites that are still in need of some TLC because I go there and it is overwhelming to go there. When I land on a website, I kind of have to leave without even really digesting it because it's too overwhelming. And what I mean by too overwhelming can be many different things. It can be like tons of pop-ups happening and I can't figure out how to close them. It can be a site that's 90% text without like a clear path on what text to be reading first and second. Videos that play automatically that are so heavy they freeze up your website in two or three seconds. And here's the big one. Your buy now buttons and ticket purchase links are hidden, hard to find, or worse yet, you're hyperlinking text to get people into your POS ticketing software. If you think your design is great and still aren't receiving conversions, here's another idea. Send the site to 10 or 15 different people, like a variety of people, people inside the theater, outside of the theater, people that have nothing to do with theater and get some feedback on the customer journey. Number three is sources. Okay, you're not measuring site visitors who call the box office to order. Your box office needs to track by asking, how did you hear about this show? Now, it may not be data rooted in algorithms and flowcharts, in um, optimizations, but verbal insights are equally valuable. To understand the purchase path and how the flywheel is working in your marketing, it's really important that we're asking so that we understand what's working. Those sources are really important. The last one is content. Is what they clicked on 
what they're actually going to get from the landing page or website. I see this happen a lot, everybody. If you promise an offer, let's say you've got an offer on tickets to Wednesday's performance of Evita, and then they click and you send people to your homepage. You cannot be too shocked when you receive a ton of clicks and zero conversions. Have your message actually match the page content. And yes, it means building out new landing pages inside of your site, but believe me, it is worth it. If you make it easier to purchase on the page, you will see more conversions. I was working with a theater about nine months ago on their website, posted the date range of their productions, but on that main page, it didn't have a schedule. So even though I knew the show was running from September 9th through September 30th, I had no idea what was going on in between there, what time the shows were. If I'm a consumer and I'm in a rush or I'm tertially interested in going, like I'm not even really sure yet. If I land on that page and I can't see immediately what I can buy, I'm going to leave. And so it's really important that you take a look at your content and see if it is driving a conversion because you're doing the right content. And I'm telling you, you will feel so much less stress when your traffic numbers are matching your conversion numbers. Lastly is, is number seven, errors. <laughs> now I know the stress is that your to-do list is piling up and you need to get that video launched yesterday. So we scramble together and add the final pieces. We slam out some copy and then send it off to YouTube and Facebook before we move it into an ad campaign. But within two minutes, your phone goes off with a comment on your post, correcting your spelling, or your grammar, or just plain wrong information, like the wrong month for the show. It's happened. Or that you put the wrong URL. You know, oopsie subject lines and social media post corrections and ad headline mistakes happen all the time. It's so true. They happen, but they're so stressful. Now, how to deal with this one? It's so hard, I know, but we have to slow down. I promise you it takes a lot less time just to reread your copy before you publish or if you know you are not a great proofreader. Of course you do a lot of other things phenomenally well but you're just not a great proofreader. Ask a colleague to check it over. You know that's better than having to send out an apology. Um, you know God forbid you have to like stop an ad campaign and restart it. We all know how long it takes to review campaign changes in social and display campaigns. And when you're in ticket selling mode, time is money. So you can deal with this by eliminating the stress on not priding yourself on being perfect. Perfection is the opposite of what we need to be trying for. We're all human. Mistakes happen. But fewer mistakes will happen if you take an extra minute, double check your work before publishing, or God forbid, send the file to the printer. Vince Lombardi has a great quote, and it really resonates with me. Perhaps it will with you. He said, perfection is not attainable. But if we chase perfection, we can catch excellence. So how did you fare? Were all seven areas of stress ticked off by you? Did you maybe just have a few of them? Did you notice? 
that most of the how to deal tips are ways to improve either organization or to set clear expectations of others and yourself. Whether it's fine tailoring processes or learning to let go and delegate, whatever works best for you, you can do this work to ensure that your mental health is your priority. That's it for this week. Hey, next time you're talking to a colleague or chatting inside a Facebook group, tell them about this podcast. If it's helpful to you, I'll bet it'll be for them too. Thanks for listening and let's keep theater moving forward, friends.